Welcome to the Breaking In Stars podcast, where we teach you how to get high-paying jobs in tech in less than 12 months. The best form of marketing is a mission that comes through word of mouth. And when today's guest, Jarek Warren, heard about Career Karma's mission to help a billion people in 10 years from our good friend, Donnie, he had to download the app. So shout out to Donnie. This story about Jarek is not just of a man. It's the story of a father, of a son, of a brother that took full control of his career by passing the entrance exams to get into a boot camp, by getting a living stipend so that he could focus full time on his work and landed a job paying well over $100,000 in a year and how he crushed every obstacle in his way. It's a very emotional story for us because it's the first person that we ever placed into a boot camp. But more importantly, he is now leading many others to follow the example that he set. He is a man of faith. He is a man of courage. He is a man of power. And if you're inspired by the story and you want to follow his example, make sure you download the Career Karma app today so you can also take full control of your career. Going back to the importance of word of mouth, make sure that you tell your friends about this episode. If this is your first time listening to the podcast and you're not comfortable telling your friends and you have some feedback for us, please share it with us because we see feedback as a gift. Our inboxes are open. Our DMs are open. So if you want to send an email to Archer Ruben or Timor at BreakingStars.com or CareerCombo.com, please do that today. If you want to slide in our DMs in the app, download the app and tell us what you like and especially what you didn't like because we aren't sensitive to feedback. We want to get better. We want to make sure that as people take control of their careers, that other can do it too. If you haven't joined the Breaking Stars community yet on Facebook, make sure you do that. Make sure you like our Breaking Stars page as well. Uh, we are really excited for you all to check out this episode. And without further ado, let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timor Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars Podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, so we're here in South of Market. There's a ton of buildings like Uber, Twitter, literally within a block radius. And today's November 1st, two months until the end of the decade, which is wild. It's also a month away from the Breaking Into Cyrus podcast turning three years old. And the Career Karma app wasn't released uh, last year at this time. And we're about to, it's about to be a year old and over 40,000 members. And we have a very, very special guest that has connections to both career karma and breaking into startups. Ruben, can you please introduce the guest? Yeah. So like, like Timor said, uh, we're in South of Market, San Francisco, um, but we got Fresno in the building. My buddy Jarek is, is in town from Fresno, even though he grew up in, in Berrien Springs down the street from Muhammad Ali, the, the greatest, the greatest, the of, greatest all of all time. Go. And to, to Timor's point, you know, this time last year we had no app. And we were just looking for people that wanted to learn how to code. So shout out to Donnie Bedney for introducing me to Jerry. He was yes, like, sir. yo, this is a guy 
who's super hungry. And Jared became the first person that we ever placed into a boot camp. And today, he's an engineer that's making way over $120,000 a year. And today, he's going to share not just his story about how he went through a boot camp and how he, he did all of that, but a lot of personal stuff, all the, all the struggles and, and obstacles he had to face to crush. But before getting into all that, let's just say welcome, Jared. Man, thanks so much, Ruben, Timor, Artur. Man, you guys are my brothers. Career of Carmen, man. Like, y'all changed my life. And uh, we'll definitely dive into that for sure. Yeah, man. So, you know, you know, we have our own way of de- defining what career karma is. But, you know, you talk a lot about like what you thought career karma was when you first came here. So in your perspective, what was career karma when you first met us through Donnie? Yeah, yeah. So career karma to me, when I first joined, it was kind of pitched to me like, hey, call my boy Ruben, Timur Arthur, like they're going to help you choose like a boot camp and kind of get you on your way you know, help you with a new career, breaking into startups or breaking into tech. Like I listened to the podcast. I was like, yo, this is awesome. Like they know exactly what they're talking about. And that's literally like literally the tip of the iceberg. Career of Karma is way more than that. I mean, it's a community of people, like-minded individuals and people who have a fire and a passion to kind of choose something different and greater for the life by way of tech and coding and interpersonal skills and forming groups. And like FFT and squads, I mean, like it's so much more than just breaking in. It's building a whole new network and literally changing the trajectory of your life. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you and I grew up in the church. And so when I reached out to Donnie, I was like, do you know anybody that's Adventist that went to Adventist school and you you went to Oakwood and you were interested in medicine, but you also were interested in tech. And so like, tell us how you first got interested in in the tech world. Yeah. So this story starts, I guess I got to start from the beginning. I don't think we even talked about this. So my mother was a teacher and every single summer on what teachers had to do back in Southwest Michigan is that they had to basically give all their materials to the ISD. So it's called the Intermediate School District. But during the summer, they can also check out certain things like computers and stuff. So my mom would always in the summer, first, second, third, fourth grade, check out a computer for me so I could play Oregon Trail, like play little games on like the Mac to like count bees and different things of that nature. Well, that progressed till about seventh, eighth grade. And I mean, she would all, she would bring home the computer and then like a sheet that says, this is how you get online. And this, the sheet would tell you how to log on to Telnet. For those of you who do not know what Telnet is, Telnet is literally like the beginning of the internet. It's just basically text. It's like a green dot, 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 dot. And so you would log in and I just fell in love with like chatting on the internet and everything like that as a young child. And then going through high school and college, my first degree, my first major in college was actually computer science. Interesting. Um, yeah. But we, we, we migrated from then. <laughs> and and we'll, we'll, we'll go into that in a yeah. second. But uh, so that's how you first got interested in technology. And yep. so when you came to us, you were exploring different boot camps and you didn't, you didn't choose the one that you ended up going to quickly, which was Lambda School. Yep. You know, you explored a bunch of them. Yep. So, you know, tell us the schools that you explored, sure. why you chose Lambda School and, yeah, and yeah, things yeah. like that. So there were a couple of different schools. There was Hack Reactor, Flatiron that I knew of. And of course, the, the idea was, hey, go on to Free Code Camp, do a couple of tutorials, do some Udemy. And Hack Reactor has like a SSP going on where you can like do some coding and see if you can get in that way. I was really interested in Flatiron as well. So I did the SSP and I didn't really like the way the program had was, was set up. And so I think it might have been UTMAR who said, hey, Lambda School just opened up an iOS program. Are you interested in that? 
like yeah and they have a scholarship and i was like bruh you're talking my language she was like no money down just go ahead and apply and so i followed your advice and you know the rest is history i got into ios development yeah and i remember uh, i think it was the summer of 2018 when we just quit our jobs we got rejected from yc the first time we, we applied we got rejected from yc and we were having these like meetings at our house and you came and you told us you had all these ideas for iOS apps. Yep. So yep. at some point, I think it was uh, a few months later, Lambda School rolled out the stipends, yep. right? And at, around the same time, you were figuring out, do I do a three-month boot camp or do I do part-time? Like, how do I break in? And uh, I mean, essentially, Career Karma helps people like figure out that roadmap it's unique to you. And at that point, we were just like brainstorming. So like, how does, how's Jerry going to be breaking into tech? What's the best route for him? And for the people that don't know, can you explain what a stipend is and why that stipend was important for you? Absolutely. So man, that stipend was huge. So the, I, the way it works is that Lambda School has an ISA program where you pay no money down. And then once you get a job, you start paying back at a certain percentage. At this point in my life, when I was applying to boot camps, I was expecting a son as well. Mm-hmm. So I was in a transition where I need to be at home. My son was on the way and, you know, I want to be in his life and be present. And so Lambda was a, a remote school and they also gave me about a thousand dollars a month. And that like was huge to pay yeah. for bills and buy diapers and just allowed me to, to kind of be with my son and code at the same time. Many times I'd be coding and he'd be right there on my lap, <laughs> strapped in, sleeping. <laughs> it's amazing. I yeah. love it. I love it. And so, you know, how, what, was, what was the admissions process like to get into Lambda School? Like, sure. I know it's a hard school to get into. And Absolutely. Then, you know, tell, us, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So the way it works is that you want to contact the admissions coordinator and then they'll have you fill out a survey. And then they'll also have you write like a little summary about why you want to join the school. Um, they ask certain questions like, hey, listen, this is a, a program that takes about nine months, you know, 30 to 32 weeks. How are you going to be able to support yourself? What's been your background? What is your passion? Any projects that you've worked on before? So I had done a couple of different things and I sent them some screenshots of things that I worked with, and I, which I thought was an app, but it really wasn't. So <laughs> this is a funny thing because in, with iOS and Xcode, you can actually build an app with no code by just connecting segue to segue, mm-hmm. right? And I had no idea, like you had to write like all this code behind. So I'd like make these screens. I was like, okay, you can go to, from screen to here to here to here. I made something. It was nothing. <laughs> but they saw the passion, they saw the drive, and they saw like uh, my, my love for combining health and technology and just technology in general. And they gave me a shot. Love it. Love it. And so you, know, you got into Lambda School. So what was it like during the program? You know, talk, tell us a little bit about that because, yeah. you know, education is hard. Like learning how to code is hard. Some people don't realize how psychological is it. So like, don't just talk about like the difficulty from a skill set perspective, but just how did you feel during the program? Yeah, I, you know, so this is when Lambda School first started. And I think I was in iOS number two. So the second cohort okay. early. Yeah, super early. And I did not know what to expect. I actually signed on the first day and I thought it was going to be like an orientation. I didn't have like another screen set up. I didn't have like another mouse or a keyboard. I thought it was just going to be like, okay, welcome. And uh, we started coding and diving right into building an app. And I was like, oh no. And so like that first week I was like so behind. I didn't know like what to do or anything like that. And actually the first sprint challenge, which is on Friday. So you, you code the schedule is Eight o'clock, you do a coding challenge and then lecture from like nine to 11. This is all uh, Pacific time or Lambda time, they call it. 
Then you take an hour for lunch. And then in the afternoon, you'd build like a whole nother project. So it's basically two projects a day. Wow. Right. And then on Friday, you have a sprint challenge, which is basically kind of like a test. So I did the whole week. But then on Friday, I didn't actually pass my sprint challenge. I was like, oh man, like <laughs> this is this is crazy. This is hard. Right. <laughs> so the beautiful thing with Lambda is that they allowed you to kind of repeat and call it the Flets program at that time. It's changed names, but it's kind of the same thing though. You can kind of go back and repeat a week. And I did that. And at Lambda, you can do it as many times as as you need to, as as possible. Right. So that's what I did. So how it, it was pretty stressful because if you not if you're going into it and you don't know any type of code or like design or anything like that, they will teach you step by step. But I mean, like it was a grind yeah. all day, eight hours. Did you ever feel like quitting? All the time. Yeah. All the time. I like to feel like quitting as fast as possible so I can get over it as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of one of those guys that kind of dive in first and then learn how to swim later yeah. type of guy. You know, you want to face that fear so it doesn't fester. Mm-hmm. You know? And what prevented you from quitting? My son was strapped in, man. Yeah. <laughs> he was, so it was in. you and him together. It was just me and him together, you know? <laughs> but not only that, it was one of those things where I finally had the community behind me, right? So at the beginning, you asked what I think career karma was. At first, I thought you guys were just going to help me like find a boot camp and then that'd be great. But you guys provided me with a whole community, mm-hmm. right? And Lambda School actually provided me with even more of a community. So in the afternoon times, what would happen after the lecture was done, we would log in with Zoom. Shout out to Zoom mm-hmm. and everybody would get on there and we would like vent, like what is going on? People <laughs> would like share code, like we'll f- figure things out and like we'll, we'll work with these problems together. And I was a part, finally a part of a, a, a group of people that were like-minded that thought kind of the same way I did. Like a squad. Like a squad, yeah. right? Exactly like a squad. Mm-hmm. So that's what prevented me really. I mean, there's other people. And even to this day, I hit up my, my friend Yvette, who's in uh, New York or Audrey in LA. Nate in LA and Fro in Houston, we hit up each other every single day to see where we are. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So like that struggle, those challenges, even though it's like it's completely foreign, you see that other people are struggling. So you're like, all right, I can do this too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, that's the only way you, you want to yeah. do it. I mean, there are people who prefer to work by themselves, but you don't get that. You don't get mm-hmm. far working yeah. by yourself. Yeah. And uh, like we hear a lot from people that start boot camps where they expect to be getting A's and like getting a mm. hundred like perfect mm. scores mm-hmm. and everything coming easy. Can you just break down a little bit? Kind of like what is the learning style for boot camps compared to traditional education? Yeah. So traditional education, you have a rubric or you basically have like a markdown of of what is you have a markdown of basically what is required to get an A, B, C, or D. And you're attached like your self-esteem and your self-worth or your level of success to getting those grades. Like that's how most people do it. But this is a technical skill. Right. And a technical skill is literally kind of, I like to think of it as being akin to art. There is no grading system with art. You only get better at art the more you do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's yeah. it. Like, I may not be the best coder. Somebody may come in and have way more programming experience, but I guarantee you in a month, like, I will outwork them, get to their level, maybe even surpass them. Yeah. Because I just have that grit. Mm-hmm. And that's what people have to keep in mind. Like, in school, you could do the least amount of work and get an A, you know, or you can do, you know, whatever you need to to, to pass, you know, a certain rubric, but it's not set by you, it's set by the institution. Coding and taking care of this art form and this technical skill is all on you. So you set your you set your goal mm-hmm. and you smash it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the mindset also is different when you're going through a boot camp because ultimately, like 
you're doing it because this is like the, you want to be you want to do better you want to learn how to code like the big driver is not getting an a at the end the big driver is like you want to build apps you want to get a better career you want to take care of your family and so i think that also changes the mindset of even though you're you might may not have passed the challenge like you said the first week like you're gonna get better the next week it's Absolutely. not like at the end of the program you get like a 4.0 like GPA mm-hmm. and then your employer cares about your grade, right? Yeah, absolutely. What what happens is, is that if you were to go into education saying, I have a, a specific thing I want to, to do and I'm going to change the world with this degree, then that's different, right? Then you can go through a whole bunch of different things, highs and lows, and you can kind of try to get there. But when you enter a boot camp, you have all these ideas in your head. You're waking up in the middle of the night and scratching down ideas for an app or a web page or like trying to fit a certain problem that's important to you. Maybe it's something as simple as a tip calculator. Maybe you want to like, you know, literally like solve world like hunger, right? You have all these things, but you don't have a medium to express yourself. And so when somebody comes to you or a group or an organization like Career Karma says, hey, listen, I'm going to give you the tools to express this passion of yours, like you, 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 you're, you're ready to go. Yeah. I think part of the reason why it's hard is because it's accelerated, right? Like yeah. people think that like in order to get a job that's paying as much as what you're making, like it takes four years, but you no. did this in a year. Yeah. Right. It, it's Absolutely. super, super fast. And so I know that in Lambda, there's also leadership roles that people take and you actually became a team lead yeah. while you were in the program. So can you talk about your leadership in Lambda, but also some of the workshops that you led for people in Career Karma as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Good question. So the way that Lambda School works is that it's, it's a uh, learn one, teach one type of type of deal. So after you've done the whole curriculum, which for iOS is about 15 weeks, they give you an option if you want to move on to the Nets, which is usually like a lab style curriculum or the CS curriculum, or if you want to become a PM, project manager or team lead. I elected to become a team lead lead. And basically what that entails is that the professor basically teaches the lesson, but you're in charge of making sure that the students are on trace on, let me pause for a second. Keep going. Okay. Making sure that the, the students are on pace and that you can help them with the code and doing code reviews and helping them with any other types of different questions. I also got asked to be part of the intro to Lambda Slack channel. So I would do that for about eight hours a day. And then in the afternoons for another three hours, I would be part of the intro to the Lambda Slack channel for people who are interested in joining iOS for Lambda as well. So I enjoyed those roles because it allowed me to connect with people. What I saw in remote program is that it's very difficult to be feeling like you're alone, you know, and so it's basically my job to make sure that you feel connected. I would call you. We would have schedules, at least 10 to sometimes 30 minutes walking through code. We can talk about anything. Sometimes we can talk about your your home life. I mean, people were going through divorces. People were having abusive households. People didn't have money in the job. They had no job and so no money. And they're looking. I mean, it was all different types of Mm -hmm. things. So it it was great to kind of pull a team together and lead them toward the finish line. In terms of the workshops, you guys actually asked me to do one or two. And that was great. And so we got on a Zoom call with a couple of people who are deciding to come to Lambda and I taught them all about it and everything that Lambda entailed. And I think that it's just important to give back. The idea is that you cannot do this successfully by yourself. Later on, I will tell you a little bit more of how everybody poured into me so I could be successful. But, you know, Career Karma was was instrumental in, in working toward that goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
I mean, you, you crushed everything in Lambda. You did well. You, you led a lot. You were supported by community. You gave support to the community, which is amazing. But then you, you got to the job search. And yeah. I think the job search is like where most people struggle with yep. anything, not just boot camps, college, anything. The job search, long-term unemployment is super high because people don't really understand it. So can you talk about the struggles you and maybe some of your colleagues face and how you overcame those struggles to get the job that you got? Yeah. So everybody talks about imposter syndrome and that's kind of the, the coin, the coin term to talk about how you feel like you're not ready or smart enough or good enough. I need everybody who's listened to that to like throw that out the window immediately. Okay. You are good enough. You're smart enough. You are prepared for this. Now it's time for you to go get it. Every day you look for a job, it's hard. Okay. Recognize that. Wake up with a schedule with, with companies that you want to apply to, right? And work that company. So I'm going to give you a little idea of how I did mine. I chose a company. I tailored my resume for that company. Okay. I put certain keywords that was important. Like for, so for example, if I was working on a project that had networking, I made sure I talked about APIs. I made sure I talked about networking, JSON, different things like at the top. Okay. Then I also wrote a cover letter talking about my passion and how I use their app all the time. So say, for example, it's Twitter. I use Twitter all day for my professional and social network. I talk about how this has changed my life. I talked about how I want to be part of an organization. They seem like it would be a great fit. I talk about a struggle that I had. Okay. While I was at Lambda School, I struggled my first week, but I eventually got it. And I know that you at Twitter would appreciate somebody that works hard. Okay. After I write my cover letter, I emailed Jack. Okay. Then I <laughs> and who is Jack? Jack Dorsey, right? The CEO. I emailed him. Then I emailed the CTO, right? And then I emailed the an engineer that's been there for about a year. That's basically new. That understands like my struggle, right? And usually, what happens is that the engineer reaches out to me and gives me one of three things: one, a referral; two, the name of the recruiter; or three, saying I'm going to pass this on to my CTO. All three of those things are great. They pass it on to the CTO like, oh, I just emailed the CTO. Great. Now they have a conversation about me behind doors. They give me the name of the recruiter. Then I hit the recruiter and say, hey, I just talked to the engineer. If the CEO hits me up, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it sounds like you, you attacked it at multiple angles. Like multiple you, angles. You took personalization to another level, not just sending, I assume, not the same email to all three people. No three personalized emails to three different people in the company. Absolutely. Absolutely. You personalize even your cover letter and your email to the people yep. based off of the role. And absolutely. then once you got insight from each person, you had them talking to each other mm -hmm. so that they could become your champion internally. Absolutely. So you can get offers. Absolutely. Yeah. And the way I organized that was through Trello. I made like different Trello boards and I made sure like I marked down every single step. So going back to your question of, or your comment about how difficult it is, it's super difficult because you're going to receive a lot of rejections. And just kind of a personal antidote, an antidote really, is that while I was going through the job search, I didn't have any money. And my son slipped and broke his arm. And I felt, wow. yeah. And I felt like, so as a new father, I felt like, like I had failed. Like I, I can't even take care of my own kid. Like this is tough. Like you asked me if I wanted to give up. I'm like, yeah, I just need to get like a regular job because this is not going to happen. So immediately I turned that, that anger and like that frustration and I went harder. Yeah. And yeah. I went harder. And the idea is if anybody's listened to them, they can relate to being in a place where 
you're in between a rock and a hard place. You don't have a lot of money. There's only one path through this and that's to go through it. Mm-hmm. Don't shy away from it. Continue emailing people, continue connecting with people, continue putting your name out there. The job search for me also included podcasts. People reached out and I was on a couple of podcasts, it included interviews um, from course report and different things. Some things were handed to me or suggested I do. And then some I found on my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Can you give people an idea of like how many applications do you send out? Like how many shots did you take? Because I think a lot of people think they tried once, they tried five times and then they get rejections and then they're like, this is just too difficult. But can you can you paint a picture of like how, how difficult was it? Yeah, it was it was super difficult, but it's rewarding. So the idea was if I if you would look at my LinkedIn, that's just one. I did LinkedIn indeed, zip recruiter. On LinkedIn it says I applied to 170 jobs. Mm-hmm. So if you look at 170 and if I did at least at least two emails for each job, like that's like 340 emails wow. just yeah. from LinkedIn. About how many rejections do you think you got? Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know how rejections. I got out of the 170 from LinkedIn, I sixty of those got response. Out of those sixty, I got forty-five rejections just from LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I got fifteen opportunities to move to the next step. Out of those fifteen opportunities, I moved to the next step with maybe four or five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. So basically out of 15 opportunities, I got maybe eight or nine take-home exams and or technical challenges. And I got rejected from about six of those. And you had mm-hmm. bossed up interviews. This is this is your, to be clear, this is your first engineering job. You interview yep. with the best of the best. Yep. You're talking about like Apple, you reaching yep. out to CEOs of Twitter yeah. and then like <laughs> you, you making plays for yourself, man. Like, yeah. It's kind of crazy because what happens is that as you diving into the job search, the only way to get better at the job search is to do it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and maybe I should have started with that. When I first did the job search, I was applying to different things and they gave me a technical challenge and I got destroyed. Mm-hmm. I was like, I did not know what a binary tree is. <laughs> Shout out to Mercury. All right. Um, you got me, man. And then the next job asked me, a binary tree. And I killed that joint Mm -hmm. because you only learn what you don't know by knowing what you don't know. Yes. That's it, man. And you're getting free practice from real world companies. Yes. Well, you also like whenever you got rejected from some technical challenges, from what I understand, you also completed them still and sent them after. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. This guy asked me, you know, how would I uh, traverse a binary tree or how would even write one out? And it was almost like I was going to get the job until he asked me that. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) so I researched that, asked some of my professors, my friends, and then I went straight into diving into it and learning how to do it from Mm -hmm. scratch, you know, building it out and swift. I would go to YouTube videos and they would do leak code and hacker rate like problems in Java. I guess I learned a little bit of Java that way too. But anytime somebody asked me, it wasn't, I was not going to fail the Mm -hmm. second time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's part of like, the job search for software engineering is basically doing what you're doing, what, what you did, which is you get faced with a question you've never heard before yep. and you feel extremely stupid in that moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you probably bombed that interview realistically. Yeah. But yeah. the way you get over it is by going back home, using YouTube, yep. your curriculum, your yep. instructors, uh, your squad and learning how to f- solve it. So then next time you get asked, you kill it. And then they look at you and say, damn, I'm impressed. Like, yeah. Can't believe you just learned to code like six months ago when in reality, like you just learned this two weeks ago because mm-hmm. you had a, someone else ask you that question. Yeah. But that's what this whole experience is about. And I know this is going to be a little painful to yeah. bring up, but I know like 
once you got these offers, you got the big offer. Um, you had the sun strapped in. This offer wasn't a California offer. Nah. This was a New York offer. So you had, offer. you had a big decision and you had other big deals on the table. So, yeah. you know, you had to talk about that. Yeah. So it was kind of crazy. I, I, I went through the whole process with Gemini. That's who I'm employed with right now. Shout out to Gemini. Shout out to Gemini. Tyler and Cameron Winkervoss. Hey, twins. The twins. twins. We got twins. Here. <laughs> twins. Yeah. There we go. Like us. Yeah, exactly. So I negotiated and counteroffered and, and, and got everything to the last stage. And I thought I'd be fine with it. I was ready to relocate. And then another company, a, a big company out here in California, and Cupertino actually, hit me with an email at 3 a.m. saying, we would like to interview you <laughs> for our health team. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that hits your, your heart. That hit my heart, right? Because the whole idea was to kind of merge health and technology together if, if I could, and then also be close to my son. And so I freaked out and I really wanted to go ahead and, and, and do the interview and, and, and carry it out and do the best that I could. And so we did that. We did that. And the interview went great. We did the technical challenge. Everything was great. But at the end of the day, it wasn't a good fit for various reasons. But it was a, it was a challenge because until I got to that point, I didn't recognize what I was literally giving up and moving to New York and my son being in California. And this is an, another thing that's kind of important about the job search. You learn a lot about what you're willing to do and what mm-hmm. you're not willing to do. When you're broke and you're trying to get a job, you say, oh, yeah, I'll just move to New York, Atlanta, you know, Austin, Philadelphia, anywhere. And then you get the job, you're like, family, my son, you know, different things, because he's not able to come with me at this present moment. So needless to say, it all worked out the way it was supposed to. And I'm heading to New York to work mm-hmm. for Gemini. Well, that's yeah, amazing. That's huge, yeah. man. And uh, I, I know you were saying how to get in touch with these companies, you really had to go above and beyond yeah. and take the back door yep. instead of the front door. We always say like, mm-hmm. you got to go through the back door, especially when you come from a non-traditional background. Absolutely. Can you... Kind of play by play, uh, walk our audience through sure. like how did you what were, what was the process to like get a job at Gemini? Sure, absolutely. So before I talk about Gemini, I kind of want to make like a general arc, and I don't necessarily want to name drop, but this is kind of very important. When you're applying the jobs, make sure that you have champions on your team. So one of the champions on my team, a few of them actually in iOS are huge. One is Erica Sadoon. Another one is Dave DeLong. Shout out to Dave DeLong. Andrew Madsen, Spencer Curtis, and Paul Salt. Now, these are all people who helped me at Lambda, and I emailed them every single week to set up interviews. When no other student was talking to them, where some students may feel like they are professors and they couldn't reach, you know, whatever, and talk to them, I would email them and say, let me get on your calendar. They would send me a calendar. All right. They would send me like a time to meet, 10, 15 minutes. I say, hey, I just got this interview. I failed. Can you help me? Hey, I just got this interview. I got to the next mm-hmm. step. Can you help me? I was relentless with that. So having people in your corner to, to vouch for you is huge, right? And I'm so grateful that they were able to do that for me. And I, and I like to think that they did that because I was a hard worker, not because I'm smarter than anybody else, not because I'm more educated, not because of anything. But when they said that Jericho is a good student, it's because they got so many uh, Slack requests or emails, like <laughs> he just would not let up. But with Gemini, the way it worked is that my main man, Charles at Gemini, I think he's going to be my boss too. Um, <laughs> well, a minor boss. Uh, he gave me a referral and we had talked through the whole process every single day. How you doing? What's going on? Talked to me about the culture of Gemini. I said, hey, Charles, I just got this take home exam. How did you approach that? He's like, man, make it nice and clean. 
you know, do the best you can, different things of that nature. And I, I followed his advice, you know, and I handed him the project. And once again, it was, it looked terrible. I was like, man, I got to do this over. So I handed it to the project. And then the next day I did it over again from wow. scratch and made like a better UI. I made a custom table view from scratch. We don't use any cocoa pods. I made my chart and everything. And it was just kind of like, hey, this is what I could do in the time frame. But if you give me like a little bit of extra time, this is what I can do even more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I took notice of that. And I didn't think anything else was going to come from it. It was, it's always about, if you get in the discipline of doing your best all the time, you don't have to worry about if they say yeah. yay or nay, right? Like you did your best. It just did works out. Yeah. I was not happy with it and I did it better. And so they said that they liked the project. Then I had the interview with the team. And we just talked about everything. It was just a really good fit from everything from health to Bitcoin, Gemini's a Bitcoin currency exchange to New York, to San Francisco. Some of the things I like, the, the, our competitors, shout out to Coinbase. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> but what's, what's crazy though is like you did iOS. I did iOS. And the job is? React Native. So yeah. like a lot of people come to Crick, I'm like, yeah. what language uh-huh. should I choose? Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. a lot of times we're like, Honestly, it doesn't matter. Yo, so <laughs> honestly, like I was one of those guys who like, I'm just going to do iOS. I'm not going to move, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. And I have to like kind of step back. And I think I was a little bit ignorant and like, kind of short-sighted with that because you're right. It does not matter. Once again, as I'm learning, diving into data structures and algorithms at Lambda to teach it to you in C and then also in Python, but I'm learning it now in Swift and in Java. Right. So it's almost like I'm Java is the language for Android development and Swift is the language for, for iOS. So it's almost like I was prepping myself to kind of be language agnostic. Mm-hmm. Right. But always being able to think critically about the problem. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I think that you said does interesting was like you have champions that are around you, mm-hmm. but having champions that are around you are is useless if you're not engaging with them and communicating with them often. All the time. Right? All the time. And there's yeah. a lot of people that are surrounded that have these people that are dedicated to help them. But if you don't tell us what the problems are, we can't help you. Absolutely. In addition to that, honesty, right? So if I'm talking to David DeLong, I'm talking to Erica Sadoon, I'm talking to Andrew, I'm telling them all the same thing at different times because they may be saying, they're talking about you know the process of how I'm doing in the background. They need to all be on the same page. Right. And so being dedicated, being honest, being transparent, being, you know, open about your fears and open about, you know, certain things. I was literally like, I don't want to embarrass. I got a really, really high recommendation to go deep into the organization. I mean, I just skipped to the front of the line of the line and that door is still open. And I said to one of my mentors, I don't want to embarrass you. And he said, if I thought you would embarrass me, I would have never like offered you yeah. your name. Yeah. yeah. You know. And uh, I I think in in this process, I think what happens a lot is you're you're always like hard on yourself. Yeah. And it's it is difficult to go from a point of a year ago you didn't know how to code, but now you're a software engineer, and there is not like a magical moment that you wake up in the morning one day and you just start feeling like you're you're an engineer and you're just gonna be crushing code, right? And so I think it's important for everyone to realize that at some point you have to like wake up in the morning and just start faking it till you make it. Absolutely. If you've built apps, you've built projects, you're an engineer, and then you're just going to become a better engineer as Mm -hmm. time goes on. I think in your case, what it sounds like that like having a child through this through this process was definitely definitely like an added obstacle. 
huge obstacle, mm-hmm. but I think it also gave you that hunger of just like you had no way no way out. It, like Lambda going through it, completing it, and the job search, like that was the only path, right? And yeah. so walk us through kind of your inner game. Like what were you telling yourself through this whole process to keep you keep yourself on this path? Yeah, absolutely. So shout out to my son's mother. Communication is huge. And I needed to be honest about how much time it would take me to get myself mentally and physically ready to kind of do this thing. So we sat down and made schedules, sometimes months at a time, knowing exactly when the childcare was going to be and back and forth and my testing and, you know, different things of that nature. But internally, I mean, I had to just be completely focused. As you're doing this, most people are going to go through stages like I am or I did where money just dried up and Mm. bills become late. And, you know, you're trying to figure out like the next step and your credit goes down and different things. It becomes difficult. And if you're not really focused on like the goal, you get distracted by any little thing. So exercise is important, you know, making sure you take care of your body, your health, meditation, whatever that means to you, family time, spend time with family and, you know, just relaxing is good. But it's, it, you, you have, Ups and you have downs. I'll give you a prime example. When I first learned networking and iOS development, I was blown away that I could actually push a button on my phone and get things from the internet. Mm-hmm. But I failed at doing that like for like two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so then when I finally got it, it was like a light bulb. And then what happened was is that not only am I pulling this certain parts of that, I'm pulling all this data and now can manipulate it. And so you, I need to be in a place of struggle and being uncomfortable so that when it clicked, it clicked everything and yeah. everything fell together. Yeah. yeah. Can we also talk a little bit about like personal responsibility? Because I think a lot of folks who go through traditional education, they're used to the school or used to the course taking like most of the burden of teaching. And then they expect kind of like the education system to provide it, kind of like make turn them into like a fully formed software engineer. Whereas with soft, with boot camps, you're basically saying, regardless of my boot camp, regardless of how good I am on the first exam, I'm going to be the one that teaches myself code. Yeah. So just talk a little bit about um, what is that journey like from the point of view of like taking ownership of your skill set and not counting on like external factors determining whether you're going to pass a course or whether you're going to be good at networking or any other skill. Yeah, that's that's really huge. And I see a lot of people going and and I can be, you know, I'm one of those people going down that road as well. The best way to do that and to kind of bypass that that way of thinking is to have a couple of dummy projects that you're working on, right? Mm-hmm. So for example, if you do an iOS development, do 100 days of Swift, right? Mm-hmm. Paul Hudson has like a really nice course and have like some dummy projects. So if you learn something in class, going back to networking, put that in that little dummy project and make it yours. Mm-hmm. Rewrite it so that it makes sense to you. But the thing is, is that people always try to blame other people for like their downfalls. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand that your life is the way it is because you made 99% of the decisions. So own that. The beautiful thing is, is that now that you own it, you have 100% capacity to change that. And that's powerful. A lot of people don't know that they have 100% capacity to change their life. Huge, huge. And so, you know, congrats on this. Like, we're so proud of you. So proud of you for making it this far. If you look at everything on paper, you went through a lot, obviously, that you just covered, but you've went through way more. So I think it's important for us to now cover the last five years of your life in less than 30 minutes. 
so people really understand what you've been through because you're a very well educated man brother and so let's let's start off with free undergrad your passion for health and everything before this and everything that you've went through that's traumatic that that is it's impressive to see your composure despite all of that thanks man so yeah sure i um have to give you know a lot of credit to my parents my late mother and my late father, both of them are educators and they really pushed me hard to do the best I could in everything. And I basically fail the first time at everything I try. <laughs> so that's a good sign, right? There's some things that I do very, very well off the bat and I don't really learn as much from, but failure to me has been like my greatest teacher. So in high school, if I went to do anything, a mom required that I got a 4.0. I mean, I'm talking about if you want a girlfriend, 4.0. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if you want a car, 4.0. This is how this happened. Uh, my friend had a girlfriend and took him, like took her from school, like in his car. And I'm still riding my bike to school. And I'm just <laughs> like, man, I got it. I got to get a car. My dad bought a car and put it in the driveway for the whole semester. <laughs> and I couldn't touch the keys or anything. And he's like, 4.0. And so that was the language in my household. And so I just got 4.0s, 4.0s, 4.0s for anything I want. I want to start like a, a gospel group in high school, 4.0. <laughs> like anything, I'm telling you, like anything. I wanted to go to the movies. That was the currency. And it wasn't so much it was a grade because I didn't care about that. It was about doing my best. And so because of that, I went to college for free. When it's time to apply for colleges, I got scholarships from all these universities. I went to Oakwood University. Shout out to Oakwood. Shout out to Oakwood, Seventh Adventist School, HBCU in Huntsville, Alabama. I didn't recognize till later that I got scholarships to University of Michigan, Notre Dame, Stanford, Yale. I didn't recognize that. My the last three years of my GPA and in high school was basically three point nine nine. Wow. The freshman year I didn't get a four but the last three years my parents like made me do that. Mm-hmm. So all these schools, you know, gave me scholarships. My mom put them in the trash. I went to Oakwood. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what my parents did. So while at Oakwood, I studied computer science my freshman year. And that freshman year, I was really torn because I'm like, okay, now I can really do what I love. I was always good in science and biology and math and physics and all that different type of stuff, but I liked computers. So I'm like, I'm going to do computer science. I did like the first year, but I didn't enjoy it. Like we were programming on paper. We're making Excel sheets. We're doing like all types of like lower level C++. It wasn't cool. And then I had an epiphany moment, Christmas of, the, of my freshman year. So basically, the moment was I was asleep and I had a dream. And in my dream, I saw my funeral. It was a closed casket. And there was a picture of me on the left-hand side of the casket or stage right or whatever. And there was a, on the other side, there was a photo album, maybe like 12 feet tall. And I opened it and it was a pic, it was pictures of me. When we actually used to take pictures, right? Remember those? And, and <laughs> photographs and put them in albums of me as a physician, like taking care of children. And I woke up and I was like, man, I think God wants me to be a physician. Mm-hmm. And I kind of cursed. I was like, crap. Because <laughs> I knew what that meant. That meant like the basically the next 10 years of my life was spoken for. Uh-huh. But being a man of faith, I went into that. Um, and so immediately when I decided to change my major to biology, I started getting all these awards. I got freshman of the year. I got inducted into the honor society. I became a, a leader and a lab director on campus for biology. I formed a program for peer-to-peer mentoring. And then I had a whole institute um, where we designed and we wrote a, a grant to the Department of Education. And it was funded for about $250,000 to take at-risk kids who had terrible GPAs from high school and pair them with kids that had great GPAs and seeing if that could actually help them pull through. And it was a mm-hmm. success. Junior year, senior year, same thing. 
president of the class. I published a paper at Loma Linda University for actually creating a computer program to diagnose pathology in, in the cervix. Wow. So it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, I mean, it was all these different things. And when I went to Loma Linda, actually, the same children I saw in my dream were actually on the corridors of the NICU, the neonatal ICUs, the same children I saw in my dream, a sick children, a sick child. And then like they like maybe five years later, like they had like a costume of like a ballerina or like a cop or anything like that. So direct correlation. Mm-hmm. So it felt like science. And so you yep. graduated undergrad. Yeah. And then you started pursuing your dreams of medical school. Medical right? school. So once again, like everything in my life, I failed the MCAT. <laughs> after all that work, after getting good grades, after becoming a young alumni board member for Oakwood University of all these different things, great recommendations, failed the MCAT. Didn't want to do it anymore. My mom was like, you better study again. I did the MCAT again and I passed it. But mm-hmm. I didn't get into medical school. I got into graduate school at the Ohio State University, studied biochemistry. Then I did a year of that. Then I went to Howard. And guess what happened at Howard? My first year of medical school. Mm-hmm. I failed my first year of medical school. Wow. <laughs> so I failed my first year of medical school. I needed to pass an exam with a 70%. Only one person passed that exam in that particular cohort. It was like a reexamination. I got a 69.42%. I went to the dean. I said, no, like there has to be like another way. I know that this answer is correct. I was done. So I spent all that time trying mm-hmm. to be a physician, went to graduate school, went to medical school, and I got kicked out or they let me go or whatever. And my parents were crushed. Mm-hmm. I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't. And so, you know, you're, you're as a man of faith that feels like this is where you wanted to go and somebody that doesn't give up. Mm-hmm. You said you want to do it again. Uh, yeah. But, I, it, but it, cost, it costs money to it do it again. It costs tons of money. Right? And, and like all these attempts, like I think as you're talking and continuing to tell your story, just like break down the costs just sure. because like. So people understand the traditional education versus like what you did with boot camp and how it works. Yeah. So that's absolutely. So college was free. The graduate school program was free with a stipend. Medical school at that first year that I didn't make it through was $40,000. I didn't give up. I wasn't crushed. I knew that I was going to do what I said I was going to do and become mm-hmm. a physician. So I went down to University of South Florida and I did a year of epidemiology and biostatistics for the MPH program. Then the stock market crashed. I took out a loan for $20,000 for that. The stock market crashed because I was out of state. They sent me a bill for $60,000. Wow. So I didn't have $60,000. So then I took out a loan to go to Mississippi College to do a master's that took two years and I finished it in one. And that cost fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000. So with those two things back and forth, I emailed once again, same thing. I emailed Howard University, the deans and everything almost every single month. I was just relentless. Like, I'm, I'm out here, guys. Like, <laughs> I know you guys said I wasn't good enough. I don't know what y'all talking about. Like, we're doing this thing. And I got back to medical school. But because the stock market crashed and because the way the Howard's endowment like worked out, the tuition from Howard Medical School, which was once $24,000 or $25,000, jumped up to $55,000 a year. And I did not really think about that. So then I took out the 50,000 plus money to live. And that was around 75 to $80,000 per year, per year. Now, what's crazy about that is that when I got back to medical school, I was right back. I had to stand in front of the board and regent of Howard University, president all the way down and fight my way back into school. They asked me everything for my master's program, everything and from the first two years of medical schools, the stuff that they didn't even teach me at Howard. I had to know pharmacology, action of like medicines and diseases and things of that nature. I killed that joint, praise God. And I got back into school 
only to find out that my dad was diagnosed with terminal cancer two months later. So then I did my first year of medical school. My dad got really, really sick. He had kidney cancer. They took out his kidney and then he died. And my mom needed help. So then I took time off to spend time with my mom. Mm -hmm. So that was actually after my first two years of medical school. I'm flying back and forth from Howard University to Barron Springs, Michigan and making sure my dad's okay. And then after your second year of medical school, you take your boards to get to the third year. And guess what happened with my boards? I failed again. (laughs) Failed, right? So I failed my MCAT, failed my first year of medical school. Then I got back into medical school. Then I failed my boards. And my father asked me if I passed. I told him I didn't. Then he died literally like two days later. He died in my arms. So now I'm just like, I got to go heavy, right? So I took care of my mom for that that year after he passed. I got back into medical school and I killed those boards, right? Passed them, right? So then I did two more years of medical school, right? And then my senior year, my mom actually passed. She died while I was on surgery. And the dean of surgery asked me, do you want to stop now and bury your mom? You can take your test later. It may you know, take more time for you to graduate, finish your course. I said, no. I'm going to go home, bury my mother. This is what she would want me to do. I went to the funeral, played my guitar, sang my song, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. came back and had my oral boards and my written boards. And I passed and honored my third and fourth year of medical school straight down the line. Amazing. Surgery, rheumatology. I mean, all the hard course that you, you would take in medical school at that place. And then guess what happened after that? Took my boards, <laughs> failed them again. Dang, wow. <laughs> so then, so just going back, failed first year of medical school, got back in, right? Failed the boards, dad died, passed them, got back in. Passed third and fourth year with flying colors and honors. My mom dies, passed my surgery, took the boards and failed them again, right? So then I finished medical school, all the classes are done, full transcript, everything, then guess what else happens? My sister gets diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, and then a year later, she dies while wow. I'm trying to take my boards again. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, at this point, if you were talking about the cost, each one of those attempts of stopping, right, you're, in, you're incurring interest and you're trying to go back to school and you're taking out these loans and different things. And so, I mean, the price of my loans are just kind of crazy. Can you share? They, can you share with the folks? Yeah, right now my loans. If I, if there's a benefactor, you can help me out. <laughs> but my loans right now are sitting north of six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Wow! Just in wow. loans. Just in loans. Trying to finish and pursue your dreams. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Un, like just relentlessly and dealing with trauma in the middle. Of yeah, all that. absolutely. And yeah. then you had a son that was born, and I had a son that was born too. So you're looking at you're looking at all these different things of losing your 60% of your family in like 5 years mm-hmm. then having a child and still not being established enough to actually carry forth the dues that I think that a man should or a parent should right so when i said that when my son broke his arm and i'm in the job search it it threw me and i'm not just saying that to say oh i was frustrated i'm saying that i have worked for 10 years to get to a place and when my son needed help, of course, he had insurance covered by his mother, but as his father, I couldn't take care of him. And that pushed me to the edge. So that's why when I say you have to like really face that fear and grab onto it, and that's going to carry you to the nets to send out those emails, to send, say, hey, Jack at Twitter, to say, hey, CEO over here, you know, this is what's going to push you through. Because these things are meant to make you stronger, not to break you, but to make you stronger. Yeah. And I, and I think just to jump back to, like kind of the the amount of debt, right? It's interesting because uh, like the boot camps uh, today, they adapted a new payment option yeah. of income sharing. But I think 
uh, for all, all the millions of high school kids, college kids picking their path, I think as a society, we also have to be responsible in terms of like introducing new ways where someone could take these attempts and take the shots pursuing their dreams, but also like not ending up with over half a million dollars in student debt, right? Because yeah. that drowns anyone. And even at that point, the job is not a guarantee. Yeah. So can you contrast with Lambda School and income sharing? Like what what is the structure of their of their tuition? Yeah. And how do they help people pursue their dreams? Absolutely. So as you can imagine, with that much debt, you're basically strapped. You can't really take out loans. You know, you, you can't really do much in terms of like credit worthiness or, or whatever, because it's a hefty payment to kind of pay those things back. So the way that Lambda School works to my benefit and to people who are interested is I have an ISA, which is called an income shared agreement, which means that you don't pay us back, at least with Lambda School, unless you get a job in the field of technology as a software engineer. Okay. So the idea is that, so for example, Lambda School costs $30,000. And then when you do get a job, you pay back 17% up until $30,000, but that's only if you're making more than $50,000 a year. So it takes a lot of burden off of the front end. Still with that, I would suggest people do a lot of things on their own that are free before they even get into mm-hmm. this boot camp. Udemy, free code camp, iOS, you know, 100 days of Swift or 100 days of code, whatever it is. And the reason you want to do that is because boot camps are nothing more really than a job incubator. They're going to give you all the things that you need. They're going to give you the code. They're going to give you the, the, the resources, even the network. But if you don't have a goal and like grab onto these things while they're available, it's not going to be beneficial to you. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to have an idea of, of an app or an idea that you want to make on your own. And so every single day that you learn something, you incorporate that into your own personal app, right? My own personal weather app or my movie app or whatever. Mm-hmm. But they're showing you how to do user defaults, incorporating your app. If you want to show how to do networking, your app. If you want to show how to, you know, transfer data back and forth and persist, it's in your app, right? So mm-hmm. you own it. So in terms of debt, you know, it's a great model because they're going to make sure that you're successful and that you'll be able to pay back. Education and taking loans for school in this country doesn't make much sense because you can go to school and get scholarship. You can go to school and email and get financial aid and making sure that you, you know, you're not as in debt as I was. Now, granted, remember, I went to school for college for free. Mm-hmm. So this is not even undergrad. Yeah, this isn't even undergrad. This is graduate schools, you know, just trying to stay focused and finish. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but these are these are some of the things that I had to think about. Okay, my third year of medical school. I'm like, all right, Jarek, you're at $400,000 right now. Yeah. What do you do? <laughs> what do you do? And the answer is to stay the course. The answer is to stay the course. And the reason why you stay the course is that this is going to teach you more about yourself than anything else ever would. And when you are faced with like a difficulty, you're going to look that in the eye and say, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And I'm going to finish this no matter what's going to happen. It's going to help me from the next step. Right. Yeah. And I, and I also want to point out that student loan debt is it's one of the only forms of debt that you cannot default on. Can't default on. It. And so I think if you are a student, let's say you're two years into med school and you decide to drop out, then you have to be kind of, you're kind of like stuck between, do I 
like leave med school and never get to be a doctor to pay back hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt I already have? Or do I keep on staying and taking on more debt Mm -hmm. to pursue this dream? Which is a lot to like from a consumer standpoint, like everyone has dreams. Everyone wants to do like better. But as a society, we also need to take a step back to ask ourselves like, how do we ensure that people don't end up in situations where they have no options? And I want to point out with like income sharing, and it is a new form of payment. It's not free tuition. It means mm-hmm. that uh, the school is incentivized to help you get into a job that pays you well. So then you're able to make payments and it's a percentage of your salary for a number of years. Yep. And so in your case, just to kind of play out the, the case for, for the listeners. So you didn't have to pay anything to start Lambda. Nope. And then they paid you a stipend yep. of a thousand dollars a month for they, seven months. They paid me a stipend for seven months of a thousand dollars a month, but then also I became a team lead and got employed by Lambda. And mm-hmm. So they paid me on top of that for the work that I was doing. Yeah. So essentially my experience at Lambda, whatever the cost was, is kind of cut in half, or maybe mm-hmm. kind of two thirds. I still had to pay back the lump sum, but I made, you know, more contributions, you know, to my family and to myself as I was doing yeah. it. And now uh, I know in the intro, Ruben, may, uh, Ruben mentioned like you're making over 120K now. What kind of increase did you go from before to now? Yeah. So it's kind of crazy when you think about it. The increase from I'm making over 120, but the increase of what I was making before Lambda School and now is $100,000. Wow. So Lambda School or a boot camp literally increased, yeah, 100 grand, you know, just in a short year. Mm-hmm. Now, that's at the beginning stage. We're not talking about equity. We're not talking about stocks. We're not talking about bonuses. Promotions. Promotions. Yeah. Different things and if you do it the way Archer does it, Archer, when he was an engineer out of boot camp, he <laughs> got promoted every every six months. My every brother months. already got promoted yeah, after see? he did his boot camp. Yeah. yeah. You know, so. and, and the last point I wanted to make was um, about like the earning potential, right? Mm-hmm. So out of uh, med school, how much do doctors make or what's the average salary? Yeah. So... So out of right out of med school, you had to do residency. Mm-hmm. So residency is about three to seven years of more training. Wow. And you get paid between fifty five and sixty two thousand dollars. Wow. So that's after you went through four years of uh, school mm-hmm. and t- taken out a ton of debt. Yep. And then you're making like f- less than less than a hundred k. Way less than a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And you're working insane amount of hours. Mm-hmm. Um, what, 40, 60, 80? 120. 120. Yeah. I think the, the government, you can't document more than 100, but let's just say that burnout is real because it's medicine, right? You can't tell somebody not to get sick. You got to be at the hospital. Mm-hmm. So after that, after residency is done, so say you do the least amount of, of work in residency, which is three years, you make about uh, $180,000 to $240,000 a year. Mm-hmm. That may or may not include my practice insurance, may not include trying to buy a home, may not include... And this is another thing that a lot of people don't recognize. When I graduated from medical... Well, when I was done with medical school, SunTrust or other companies and banks would literally extend lines of credit to physicians for a million dollars for homes, which is insane. So as a physician, you have a crazy credit limit because I know that you're going to make standard uh, amount of money over time. But the thing is that you're already so much in debt. So... You will make about two hundred average two hundred two hundred twenty five thousand dollars as a physician, but that's basically three to seven years after you're done with medical school. Yeah, and that's for and so, for context, you'll be probably like in your mid thirties to late thirties 
once you're done with residency, oh, yeah. if you started graduate school in your 20s. Absolutely. Yeah. So when I had that dream about becoming a physician and I was like, crap, like that's what I was linking about. Like 10 years, 12 years of my life is already like taking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now just to, to wrap this all up, being a physician is, is extremely rewarding. And it's the type of work that you, you know, only 1% of the population ever gets to, to do. And more than likely, you will be successful if you do medicine. The challenge is, is that we had a president a couple of years ago who literally said that if doctors can go to school for free and they did family medicine, then, you know, it would be like a zero sum game, you know, and they did a study and what most medical students would elect to take a, 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 a pay of, of about $150,000 a year if they didn't have to go to medical school and pay all those loans back. Mm-hmm. So if you went to medical school and you did family medicine and you got paid $150,000 a year, they would take that as opposed to taking out all this debt, mm-hmm. trying to do residency and trying to get above $250,000 to pay back different things. I mean, think about the stuff that happens in 10 years. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, like to put another bow on it, I think like overall, you know, you've been through a lot. Congratulations again for making this, yeah, getting this big job, $100,000 increase in a year. Your dream is still to do something with healthcare and yeah. technology. You're in fintech now. Finances play a very big part in the healthcare industry. We don't know what's going to happen, but we do know that you're a man of faith. And if you trust the process, it'll all make sense when we look back in the next few years. So thanks again for joining us now, Timor. Yeah. So, so like, I appreciate you being so like vulnerable. And I think to the three of us, the fact that you're also part of Career Karma and you were a listener of the Breaking Into Startups podcast from the very beginning. It definitely makes it a full circle moment. And as you know, Jarek, on the podcast, since you've listened to it, <laughs> we do the lightning round, right? And um, I think you've gone through a lot to get here. So can you break it down to the listeners? Uh, like, w- What are the strategies, tactics, and uh, r- resources that you've used to get here today? Arthur, do you want to go with the question? Yeah. So imagine, let's, let's go back a year ago. You moved to a new city. You only have $100. Where do you start? Okay. So I've been in this situation many times, right? So the first place that I've always started was go to the grocery store and get rice and beans. <laughs> Seriously. Rice I'm not, and beans are amazing. Rice and beans, rice and beans, bread and eggs. You spend $20 in that. Then the next thing that you do is you find like the closest meetup, right? And you go there. Okay. And you order water, right? <laughs> and you spend like $5 on business cards. Or honestly, you just write your name on a piece of paper. Right. Like you just start networking. Okay. You can start inviting to events to people's homes and start understanding like what the game is and how it's being played. And the reason why I said rice and beans is because you need to eat. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody's ever said that. I've done that so many times. Mm-hmm. You lose weight, you look good, full protein, <laughs> and you network. Mm-hmm. But like it's literally one of those things where you want to be extremely focused and don't be hard on yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, recognize that everybody who's successful. They're successful, not because of successes, but because of the failures. Mm-hmm. Facts, facts, sure. facts. So given that you are an artist that plays music guitar, I mean, you went to a school that's very musical. Yeah. Uh, when you're going through, when you're in hustle mode, what kind of music do you like to put on that like gets you motivated? When when your brother, when your son broke his arm and you had that fire, did you play any music that like absolutely, fueled man. you up and pumped you up? Yeah, absolutely. My favorite group in the whole world is Take Six. Okay. Shout, out, Shout out to Take Six. I love Take Six. Aeolians. Okay. Oakwood Aeolians. I love them as well. I like gospel music. I like music that's complex. I like listening. My son only knows Sits Part Harmony. 
like at least <laughs> that's that's all he listens to i also played my guitar and i sit down in my room and i literally just kind of like meditate and like think about where i'm going where i am now is not important it's where i'm headed and that's why to this day right to this day with everything that's kind of happened it's not a question of if i'm going to be successful right that's not the question the question is how successful will I be? And that's in direct proportion to how I manage my failures or the perception of my failure, right? I can allow that to eat me up or I can allow it to push for it. Yeah, you, you know? don't look stressed right now. I'm not, man. We're having a yeah. good time. We're on a podcast. Look, man, you guys told me that I was number one and now you guys have 45,000? Yep. Yeah. You are number one. It's not, it's not a, Bro. we didn't just tell you that. You are number one. Okay. <laughs> Who's been working like for 40,000? Like that's a lot of work for you guys, right? Well, so, Ruben spoke to every single person on the phone. <laughs> that's when what so it's like, you know, the point is, is that this is supposed to be like a beacon of, of hope for anybody who's listened to this podcast, who's trying to break into tech, right? Like if you think that my struggle's difficult or if you can relate to it, just keep moving, man. Like, and w- we are all here to help you, right? I, I said certain names on the podcast so that people who hear these names, you can reach out to them and say, hey, also set these names. So when my son listens to this podcast, when he grows up, he knows the people in his life that gave him the type of lifestyle mm-hmm. that he is enjoying right now. You always got to pay it for, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. 100%. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, it's crazy that like a year ago, literally you were just uh, in at one of our events and you were not in a boot camp. You at that point, I'm not sure if you knew that boot camp was going to be the thing for you. I didn't you know. were just asking questions, and I find that there's a ton of people in our community who join to discover, to meet other people who look like them, who have similar non-traditional backgrounds. What advice do you have for people who might have been just starting with a 21 day challenge, and they're just like kind of like eager to explore? They're afraid. They might be feeling the imposter syndrome. Like speak to them directly. Like they they're listening right now. Sure. For you who are just starting out, the one thing I would say is to literally make a list of the top ten ten things that you want to happen in this new career that you're choosing. Right. Itemize them. If you're going for a better financial situation, do that. If this is like a dream that you've always wanted to like pursue, write that down and always have that in the front of your mind as you're learning it. Number two, get as many free things as possible right? Free, free, free. Career Karma is completely free, right? We are here to help you. We're here to uh, get you in a, a squad and a gang and move you forward, right? And before you enter the boot camp, make sure that when you're done with your coursework, you want to be in a position to help other people, right? That's key. That's a major key because once you help other people, not only do you get to put that on your LinkedIn, shout out to <laughs> Team Lead Lambda School, right? But you also get that experience, right? And you actually might get paid to make you feel like you're actually moving forward too. I can't tell you how many people I've said, hey, you should become a PM or a team lead or help somebody out. And they're like, I don't want to do that. That's not really my style. Okay. Well, why not? it's called career karma for a reason. It's, yeah, gotta, exactly. Right. You got to remember where you came from and help more people follow exactly. your footsteps. That's yeah. the only way. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could tell you guys that I was smart and I got 4.0s and I never failed and nobody helped me when I was down. I wish I could tell you that I, never, I got into, into tech and got a $100,000 increase in pay without meeting you guys. Mm-hmm. It's not the case. There's no such thing as a self-made person. There's no such thing. Last question. What advice do you have your son for your son as he grows up and do you feel like he's going to go to college or not? <laughs> <laughs> so for my son, 
I would say to you, Jalen, keep a love ahead, right? Always stay grounded and put your ego behind you and your height because you're going to be tall (laughs) and ask for help. Okay. Always ask for help. Your father and your mother, your whole family has laid a a network of people who are going to be at your side to help you. And yes, you need to go to college. And the reason why you need to go to college is because you're still a black man in America. Okay. And being a black man in America, you need to make sure that education is synonymous with your success. Now, do you need to finish college? Do you need to graduate from college? Do you need to, you know, become a doctor or a lawyer or whatever? No, but you need to meet people from different places. You need to understand like their, their experiences. And if you figure out that college is not for you, then dive into your passion. All right. But you definitely need to go to college and you definitely need to experience that. Also, you do not need to pay for college. I think a lot of people get hung up on college is a bad idea because I have to pay for it. Your father didn't have to pay for it. Your grandfather didn't have to pay for it. You do not have to pay for it. Solid advice. Solid advice. I mean, we all went to college too. And to your point, you know, college doesn't just, it's not just designed to get you a job. You know, a lot of people think that that's the only way to get a job. And so you do learn a lot. You meet a lot of people through that process. So what's the best way to stay in touch with you? And what do you think you're going to be in the next five years? You can hit me up on Twitter, jwarrenmd. I'm there. Also on LinkedIn as Jarek Warren, new employee of Gemini. In five years, I will be VP of product somewhere, hopefully at a health tech firm. Mm-hmm. If not VP, then lower C-level. We're trying <laughs> to move certain things and maybe even in the financial area as well. I mean, Bitcoin may blow up, guys. Stay stay tuned. I mean, we're early. We, I still own Bitcoin. We are, we yeah, are early. You may too. need to bring that over to Gemini, man. <laughs> you know, bring it over to Gemini. Yeah. You know, so it's a, uh, it's a, it's an exciting time for me and I appreciate you guys. Yeah, man. Thanks again, man. Yeah. Let's break in. Let's break in. Let's break in. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.